Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Innate. We hear it from our podcast guests frequently. Today's capital projects require the highest degree of visibility. That's why we at the Project Chatter podcast want to tell you about construction project management software from Innate. It's software that integrates every aspect of your project and puts you in control. Innate's cloud-based solutions provide a connected data flow that improves efficiency and guides better outcomes across the entire project lifecycle. See what Innate software can do for your next construction project. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Is your company proactive when it comes to scheduling? Many companies believe project schedules are just the requirements of the contract, but companies looking to gain an advantage strategically manage their project timeline, resources, and budget. Plan Academy helps construction companies improve their project controls through immersive online training courses. At Plan Academy, your team can learn construction, planning and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and can save your company thousands when compared to costly in-person training. Visit planacademy.com forward slash chatter to download course outlines and talk to a training specialist now. Hi everyone, this episode is brought to you by Just Do. Just Do is a portfolio project management tool we've been using at Project Chatter. Whilst all other systems cater for small teams, Just Do caters for teams large and small, plus it has no set hierarchies, meaning your structure, your platform, your workflow. I agree, Val. While Just Do is simple to use, it also has a lot of powerful functionality. My favorite is the task-specific chat. Yes, and for all you slackers out there, don't wait for Monday. Do check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. In this week's pod, we welcomed Sinchana Johnston. We discussed why good planners are like gold dust. Originally from Croatia, Sinchana is a chartered program professional with over 25 years of experience consulting on complex transformational initiatives such as Brexit programs in the financial industry, fintech, EMEA telecoms, water utilities, and UK civil service. So Martin, we went all over this one. It was hugely entertaining. She had GNT in hand. You had your beer. I had my whiskey. I mean, there was so much uh, entertainment, but also so much information. I wonder if you could uh, perhaps give the listeners your favorite bits. So Sinchana was a, a really eloquent storyteller and she, she talks about that as a, one of the assets for a, for a good planner. It's, and you could see the, how she articulated some of, the, some of her experiences and, and how she looks for that type of skill set in, in planners. She, she talks about intuition, how trying to judge whether people will be the right fit for, for a company and and examples of her own intuition, which was interesting. She also talked about the transition between certain industries, which was, which was again, interesting. Um, I'll let you listen to, to that, Dale. So Dale, what was your, your favorite part? I love the way, as you say, the storytelling, the way she used her own real life career experiences to get across her points. Um, and we have really heard that from our guests before. So listeners, I think the best thing you can do is just sit back 
relax and enjoy the podcast. Hello, project people. A very, very warm welcome to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's amazing to have you back. Remember to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and YouTube if you'd like to see our friendly faces. Now, Martin, have you seen Val Matthews anywhere? I'm not. He is incommunicado today. Yeah. So if anyone knows where Val is, please let us know because uh, he's supposed to be here. But other than that, are you well, Martin? Any news your side other than missing out last episode because it was your birthday? Oh, no. Um, yeah. Sorry for missing out. I've, I've heard it back. A very good episode. Um, yeah. Shame I missed it. But, you know, Marco did a sterling job. Um, so, so, yeah, really well done. Um, no, no news apart from that. Yeah, I think you should be worried. Marco's, you know, he's hot on your heels there. I know, yeah. <laughs> a bit of competition. <laughs> Today, though, we are joined by Sanchana Johnston. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. That's amazing to hear. It's, it's always nice to have a guest that is great, and you are a great guest, and you will be a great guest, and you'll continue to do great things because you have an amazing bio uh, which we obviously won't read out, but we've got, or will have in the show notes as well. But you are here today to talk about why project, uh, good project planners are like gold dust. Now, you've written an article about this. You've got 10 points, and we're not going to cover all of that in detail, or maybe we will. Who knows? Let's see how it goes. But I'd love to know, before we get into the article, what made you write about this? Because in many respects, it's like, okay, it sounds obvious, but what made you actually put pen to paper and write this down? That's a very good question. Um, before we start, can I just say a big cheers to you? Absolutely. So cheers with my gin and tonic. And if you join me, so here is some whiskey, I'm assuming. Whiskey and beer. And creation beer. It doesn't yeah. get any better than this, honestly. <laughs> you can probably hear the clunking of the ice in my GNT. Absolutely. By the way, that wasn't whiskey and beer for me. That was whiskey for me and beer for Martin. If those listening are wondering, but anyway, cheers to you, Sanchana. Cheers. You're welcome. So thank you so much for inviting me to come. I, in preparation, like any good project planner, I watched a few episodes on YouTube on a big screen, uh, then started to panic, first of all. So it was a headless chicken round around the living room, first of all, kind of seeing these guys know what they're talking about. Okay. Will I know what to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> You're being very kind. I don't know. I don't think we know what we're talking we, about. We, we don't. We just make it. You, you, just <laughs> because sound, you, make it. you just sound like you really know your stuff. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> So, um, yeah, so thanks for inviting me. I really, really appreciate it. I've heard some great uh, things about it. So your guests, so the stuff that you do, which is fabs. Um, what made me write that article? So at the time, I was working as a contractor, as a, I think, project PMO project planner, program planner, as a self-employed contractor, um, for a bank in Glasgow, in Scotland, UK. And um, I had been with them for about four months. It was quite a good setup. 
because it was owned by one of uh, National Bank of Australia or something like that. So to my delight, they were using a version of Oracle's Primavera. So to you and me, that means that A, they wanted good planners because nobody else can do Primavera apart from us. Yeah, that's number one. Number two, that would mean that I will get paid for what I like doing. Number three, I was based in Scotland, which means it would take me 30 minutes on a train door to door to get to work. Um, and I really enjoyed the work. There was loads of other planners. You know, we had a um, really good laugh, etc. So this guy phones me up, a recruiter, Scottish man, which is obviously very quite usual in Scotland. So he phones me up and he says, OK, are you free for a contract? And I kind of said, well, not really, because I said I would stay for another couple of months. But, but saying that, you know, always open to offers. You know, somebody said to me to say that. So he says, okay, so um, I've got a really good role. Um, the role is working for RBS in Edinburgh and they will pay X, Y, Z. And the X, Y, Z, my ears just perked up because it was <laughs> considerably <laughs> more <laughs> than what I was on. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, worth a chat. So he goes on and on and on and he says, look, I'm really keen. Let's go and have a chat, um, send me your CV. And I was just thinking, why is he so keen? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and he said to me, apparently, good project planners are like gold dust. As in, you can name your price if you want this job. So I put the phone down, you know, obviously sending my CV, uh, got the job, went for an interview, the rest is history. You know, loved it. It had an, another five contracts for RBS in various capacities, in anti-money laundering, um, other fintech, uh, you know, compliance, open banking, you name it, you know, really good, great guys, a lot of uh, consultancies working there, Deloitte, PwC, uh, Accenture at the time, I think it was Accenture. Anyway, re really good, great guys to work with, a lot of freelancers. So we would just get our heads together, say, okay, we've got portfolio, loads of milestones, you know, what are we going to do with, with it? How are we going to do it? So then um, having a conversation with this, with this recruiter, and we stayed in touch ever since, and he's now actually, he's been working in project uh, and business analysis, actually, for a number of years um, after we pulled him in to work with us. Um, that got me thinking, why would good project planners be worth anything? And especially why would be, we, we be gold dust? And I just wanted to put pen to paper. I wanted to really sum, summarize what makes us good at our jobs and why are we able to find work? And just to backpedal a little bit, the reason why I wanted to be a project planner was that I really enjoyed that, always enjoyed planning, loved it. And I realized at one point I was made redundant, which I've written about in my book. It's nothing like good self-promotion. She's showing her little book, self-published. Thank What's you. What's the title? What's the title? Okay, so it's under the Challenge Johnston. It's PMO Careers. And it's from redundancy to freelance consultancy in five easy PMO steps. 
I've put it as as a, as a, as a free Kindle download. Feel free to download. So I started kind of thinking, what makes us good? And I decided to become a planner because um, I realized that I would be able to find work. So I put two and two together. Okay, been made redundant, looking for work, want to do this. And the two came together. And then, you know, that's what got me into it. But what got me to write the article, as I say, was I wanted to put pen to paper and check with my colleagues. And I contacted quite a few planners at the time. I'd written this in 2015. And I just asked them, what would you say that makes us desirable to somebody? Why are we valuable, for example, to project managers or program managers? And we came up with about 10 points that apparently makes us good. Nice. Now you've hooked the audience. They're like 10 points. What are they? Can we get into those 10 points? And that's where you stop and take a sip because they, they are quite meaty points. But I did write them down because I am a good um, project control student as well. And, you know, we like to do a little bit of research. Um, so I'll just rattle them off, but we'll get into them. So you've got technical superiority, which I agree with. You, you, you Technically, you have to understand what you're doing, because if you don't, no one else will. Natural curiosity and professionalism. I totally agree with that. Not everyone has that, to be honest. Some people have curiosity. Some people have professionalism. It doesn't always come natural to them. Secrecy, that's an interesting one. So we'll come back to that. As point number three, you said, you know, secrecy is a, is, a, is a characteristic of a good project planner. Coolness and decisiveness. I like that one. Yeah, I can see that. Self-starters and motivators, that goes without saying. Sociable loners. There's another interesting one. So there's two we're going to dig into straight away. Secrecy and sociable loners undervalued project heroes i cannot agree more about that statement you know um when things go wrong it's like oh we didn't plan it properly and when things go right well does the planner ever get you know all the plaudits you know for doing the right analysis and providing right information who knows maybe maybe it's getting better these days uh visionaries and fortune tellers well I don't know if planners can quite be fortune tellers, but we can try and do a damn good job at getting closer than anyone else using the data that we get. Stress and recruiter busters. So our friend Chirag will be listening out to this and uh, he'll be interested in why, you know, good planners are recruiter busters. Uh, and then matrix thinkers and doers. Yeah, you definitely have to have that sort of matrix thinking. So I bought you a bit of time there, Sinchana. You've recharged your batteries. You've had a sip of your GNT. Um, I, I don't propose we necessarily go through all of those in order, but I really am intrigued by point three of secrecy and point six of sociable loners. I wonder if we could peel back some of the layers. What do you mean by secrecy? Why is that uh, a, a good characteristic to have? Um, that's a very good point. So... I think, first of all, we all sworn to secrecy, isn't it? Especially if we work for the government <laughs> office or for MOD. I reckon, I reckon we all swear to secrecy in that case. Um, I think, yeah. So how can I explain this? 
the reason why I mention um, secrecy is that any information that we get, any information that we churn stays with us, right? So if you're looking for an office gossiper, don't come to me. Yeah, that's normally my way of working. You can see how well I would do in some organizations. <laughs> I am really serious about this. So, for example, if I'm working with a program director or with a senior project manager, like I normally do as a project planner, he or she will tell me loads of stuff. They will tell me loads of stuff about the program itself. They will possibly run through the different scenarios that will possibly have different activities, different deliverables, different resources, different uh, dates um, with it. So if I was to go out and if I was to give that secret away to everybody who goes past me, I wouldn't get very far in this business. And I'm serious. I, I didn't realize that. And to me, I just, over the years, it just developed into we do that as a, as a norm, you know. So, um, for example, as I say, if, if I'm putting a plan together and the program director says to me, this is your plan as of now, put that together, and this is what we are going to present, that is what's happening. And that is what, what I'm presenting. That's, that's at this point in time. However, he or she could have told me a number of other things that are possibly going to affect that, but that secret stays with us, with him and me. It doesn't go any further at this point in time. I'm not, I don't feel I'm concealing anything from, I'm not hiding anything from anybody, but I'm really kind of looking to get most information out of it, churn that information, yeah, the clogs are going, and, I, and I'm sure I'll question him whether, you know, this or this, does that work, what is it, you know? And I had a, I had a, really good uh, uh, example. Actually, you told me you are South African originally? Yep. Right, great. Love, my sense. love working with South Africans, love it. <laughs> so I had this um, program director in, in the financial sector here in Edinburgh and he'll remain nameless because I think he's the only one there they would pretty much know it was him. So I worked with him on, on a really challenging FinTech IT new IT platform deployment program that was like six months late, like treble the budget and everybody lost the will to live. And um, so I did a program plan for him, you know, went around, saw all the senior project managers, had a good chat with them, combine all of them, their plans, whatever that was, dogs dinners, put that all in a program plan. And ta-da, I came to my South African program director and said, ta-da, this is you, this is your program plan, you know? And I gave him a number of options there, a number of things that we should look at. And he would just slap me down. No, I'm not doing this. No, this is rubbish. No, 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 no. And I just said to him, wait a minute, you know, you are supposed to do this. You know, surely we should put that in, in my mind, surely we should put that in. And then he just turned around. He's a big guy, black belt in whatever, taekwondo, karate, Tai Chi, whatever, you know, it's a big guy, so you won't mess with him. Um, so he just turned around and said to me, no, I'm not doing it. And, and it's kind of smiling, kind of, no, nah, no, I'm not doing it. So I'm thinking now, fair enough, 
you know, because <laughs> it's his head on a, on a chopping board. It's not mine. That's one of the reasons why I became a planner, because I did not want to be a project manager or program manager, because I didn't want my head chopped off. So, <laughs> so I just said, fair enough, you know, your secret's safe with me. <laughs> the fact that I would probably present it differently, do, do it differently, but he knew what he was doing. So it's, yeah, kind of the secret stays with us. I don't know if that answered your, your but, but that's how I look at it. If I challenge that slightly, yes. in, in, in that scenario, how do you influence and guide that person to the right answer? Because there's a risk of just painting the scenario that that, that person wants when you know for a fact that it's, it's either not achievable. How do you kind of work with, with those people? What, what are the soft skills that you use to try and guide them towards a painting a, a more realistic plan, more realistic picture? I get that they need to own the schedule. They need to sign up to it, but you, you don't just want to monkey see monkey do. So that there is a real skill in influence and how would you get around that? That's a very good question. So what I told you was the end of the very long few weeks leading up to it. So I use my influence wisely, right? Very wisely. So I felt that I had presented him with the best most accurate, transparent live data that I could after spending weeks talking with project managers yeah, and, and creating that program plan. So I felt that he got the best possible, well-meaning, non-biased view from me. And we went backwards and forwards at different parts of that plan. And I use facts. So that's what I use to influence him. So I will show him, so I will tell him, okay, this is the critical path on this. The fact that there is no deliverables on the critical path might be the fact that you wanna question the whole thing. Yeah. The fact that your resources are not included or the fact that you need three people to do something like opening of the firewalls that you've put nobody there, as in it will be done yesterday. So it's all of this, so I use facts. But ultimately, I was comfortable professionally that he was going in the right direction. If I felt professionally that he wasn't worth his weight in salt, that he wasn't a seasoned program manager or program director, I would have escalated that but I felt completely comfortable with him in, in you know, being working with him. They, we, we literally were all at the one, in, one open uh, uh, in the office in, in Edinburgh. And I saw how he was working. I, I worked with people who were there supporting him. So I was quite comfortable. And the final decision, this is a good point. I feel sometimes people feel, oh, I have presented this as a planner. And they haven't taken it into account that, you know, I have failed to influence. I feel the opposite. I feel that I've given it my best shot to influence the outcome. But maybe I don't have all the information. I don't have his head and his brain and his experience and his skill set to say, was I wrong? 
or is he wrong? Or are we both wrong or right? Is it some kind of hybrid? Do we wanna find a balance? So, and also I feel sometimes that there will be say 10 things that I know are quite important. So I, want, I will present these 10 things. Out of those 10 things, two or three might be priority level zero or level one. Okay. So even if I let him have level threes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But if I manage to say one, it's like silence of the lambs. Do you remember the silence of the lambs? Yeah. And she goes at the beginning and she said, I tried to save those young lambs. And even if I saved one, I felt I have succeeded. So that's like me as, as, a, as a program planner. I felt if I, have, if, I have, if I have managed to influence him or her for that one key thing, I'm, I'm content, I'm happy, I'm happy. You can, really see the, you can really see the skills there, can't you? A lot of it, there's the technical side of having to create a good plan and then, but the, the real strength is the personal side where you've got that, yeah. you have that relationship, you've built that relationship over time with the program manager. Yeah. You're using your soft skills to try and slowly influence and yeah. slowly try and build in the, the integrity of, of that schedule. And, you know, guess what? You got a few wins in there. You got, yeah. you got the schedule, you know, better than uh, than what it was on on day one yeah going back to some of the points earlier i mean i'm intrigued um by some of them the the sociable loners the the curiosity what types of questions would you use to to try and suss out a, a good planner because sociable loner that doesn't immediately strike me as someone who would give off a good impression in a in the one hour that you might may have for an interview so how do you what types of questions do you use to to really get a good sense of whether someone could be could be a good like both a good fit and a good planner for the business? I can see you're there on on possibly commission from our colleague <laughs> in recruitment space. Can, can possibly comment. <laughs> okay, so so to answer your question, so I've recruited a good few planners, and. Uh, I've worked as a contractor, as the head of planning and controls or whatever you want to call it. Um, how do I recruit good planners? This is really a difficult question. Because I started, I'm hands-on and I've done this inside out. It's very, I would say the chances of somebody sneaking through that I can't suss out that will be an absolutely liability are very low. And I think, yeah, it's like everything you do, isn't it? The more you do it, the better you are at it. And, and sometimes this is really, okay, this is going to be bad. My, our, our recruiter planners will not like this. There is one thing that every policeman will tell you to follow if you're unsure about crossing the road or getting into somebody's car, what is it? One thing that you have to follow, it could be life and death of going into somebody's car, going to somebody's house, if you think something isn't right or something might be wrong, it's your intuition. So how do I explain that to our friends recruiters that I follow my gut feelings? Can you see my point? Definitely. <laughs> so so I, I want to tell you a story, right? This is a creation story. I didn't say 
our discretion. We didn't say that. So for everybody who's listening, if it's evening, dobro večer. If it's morning, dobro jutro. If it's a midday, dobar dan. That was your crash course in Croatian. There we go. So one of the guys that I grew up with in Croatia was a problematic boy in his teenage years. Very good dancer. We always used to dance. But um, problematic boy. It was always on a a balance of of good and bad. So it was either he'll end up behind the bars or at the front of the bars as as the the, uh, 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 prison guard. So it was very, very tight at the time. So his dad took him by the hand and took him to the police academy. So he finished that police academy, a bit of a problem when it came to allocating the weapons, like weapons, but he managed to pass that after some troubles and had a fantastic career in about 30 years in the police, in the Croatian police, and he's now retired. He's also a war veteran. So he says to me, right, listen to this story. So he says to me, he goes, uh, he's got a case, he's a detective now, yeah, police detective. So he goes in and gets the case of a missing farmer. So the guy just vanished into thin air, just disappeared somewhere from a farm in Croatia. He's like, okay. So he goes, I go to the farm, I see his wife, and I see a young farm hand who is, um, obviously they're both devastated that the owner of the farm is disappeared, just disappeared. He said he was there in the morning, I asked him to come and have dinner, never turned up, disappeared. Maybe he's gone somewhere, you know? Six months later, the farmer's still missing. He said, I tried every lead. He said, followed up every lead, you know, that I can. And this is a small country, everybody knows everybody. The guy literally vanished. No neighbors saw him after, after, after she said goodbye to him, etc. And he said, I tried everything. He said, I tried everything. I looked into different ways. Is there a different appearance in different parts of the country? You know, checked his uh, credit cards, never touched or current account savings, nothing's been touched, hasn't crossed any borders. It's a police state over there. <laughs> you know, so Trek checked everything. He said, last resort, I got the local, um, the local clairvoyant lady to come in to the farm and tell me where the farmer is. As she goes, comes in and she goes straight for the pigsty. And she says, he's here. Straight for the pigsty. And he said, okay, fair enough. Thanks very much. You know, goes back to the police office. Said, so what do I now tell my boss? There is no evidence of this guy at all. Yeah. The clairvoyant is saying she, he's, he's in that pigsty. Do I now empty the pigsty? based on her saying so, what do I do? And I believe in my gut that she's right and that he's in that pigsty. So to cut it short, never found the farmer, never could solve the case, but he said, as a police detective, he believed that man, something bad happened to him. And by the way, pigs are carnivorous. If they were to get hold of him, there wouldn't be anything left of it, so there would be no evidence. So what I'm trying to say to you is that when I recruit, I look at somebody's CV, yeah? So this is how helpful our recruiters. I look for their CV. If they say, for example, that they've been using a software scheduling tool like Primavera P6 or Microsoft Project, I wanna see the volume of the data that they've been churning. So if I'm looking for a senior planner, I am looking for 45,000 lines plus 
Okay? Yeah. I want that. I want them to have that in their CV. I want them to tell me what did they actually do. If they tell me that they've inputted data into a software to you and me, that's a data inputter. Yeah, that means they were probably sitting somewhere, getting a few codes, making sure that the codes match, and they filled in those, uh, you know, the sheets of 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 realm. So for me, that's not a planner. That's a data inputter. That could be a very expensive data inputter. They could be Primavera P6 data inputter, but they will most probably not understand what they're inputting anyway. And they are no chance that they can put a plan together from scratch. So that, so number one is the volume of data. Number two is, can they put together a project plan from scratch? Can they do it in the tools? Yeah, whichever tool they said they would use, they need to use some kind of scheduling tool. If they're saying that they're using Excel, which most likely, you know, it's just a, a, a flat front end, nine out of 10, there's no scheduling engine to it of any kind. So for me, uh, gone down, gone down, gone down, but good as a, as a probably, you know, like a PMO analyst looking yep. at data, you know, possibly churning data, you know. And then thirdly, I want them to talk about projects or programs they worked on. So that to me means that they, that they made an effort to understand what's involved. And they looked at rates, they looked at milestones, they looked at the business cases, they looked at uh, deliverables, they looked at outcomes. Blah, 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 blah. So those are the three probably points. And at the end of the day, if I'm speaking to them, like I'm speaking to you guys, I'm already churning in my head, like everybody else, can I work with that person? And that was, it's in my book. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think the majority of people, I don't know how you recruit, the majority of people are recruiting, yes, they need technical skills, but they are recruiting, can they get on with us? Are we going to get on? And can they leave me to it? Am I going to be an asset or am I going to be a liability to the business? So that's how I recruit as well. Um, I mean, most of the time, as a self-employed contractor, I'm told. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Very rarely I'm lucky enough that I can pick my own teams. Yeah. So, so, so obviously you're quite the expert in this field. You've recruited many people. What tips would you give to people who, who don't have your experience? Like they're either recruiters or they're a hiring manager who they just need a... They just need to find the right person, but don't necessarily have the, the skill set or experience. What what tips would you get them to, to try and look for in that candidate? So do you remember my 10 points? <laughs> <laughs> That's your checklist there. Yeah. That's we'll post checklist. a link. We'll post a link to the, the article. Yes, please. And folks can go and have a have a yeah. look at that one. Um, but yeah, and, and I agree with you. There's some handy tips in there as well. But the thing that struck me when you were chatting this in China about the farmer is actually one skill that, and maybe you talk about it in, in you know, in the detail of, of what you've written down, but one skill that I think is undervalued in really good project planners is the art of storytelling. Yeah. The art of understanding not only the depth of detail, but the right detail. How do I convey this message? Now, you just gave us a 
fantastic story full of detail we could see this we could see the the pigsty right we could see the clairvoyant but you didn't give us everything because you gave us the important bits and i feel like that is also really important for project planners to be able to as you say be technically gifted but also be able to understand the context of what they're doing not just as you say sitting behind a computer but we've said it before go out to site have a look speak with engineers, look at the design plans, bring it all together. A good friend of the podcast, Marco Frisenda, when we asked him what's his definition of a planner, he's a project manager that looks after time. Very simple, right? Very, very simple. So it's, it's, it's everything, but the focus is time. And I love that, but I think just adding that extra dimension of, can you actually turn what you're doing into a story that one makes it exciting two, that's informative, and three, has an impact. And I think you've just done that in your farmer story. Now, if nothing else, listeners, take that farmer story and just replace it with the project you're working on. And if you can do what Sinchana just did there, I think you're, you're on a good standing to being a really fantastic planner. I just want to pause there and get your thoughts on storytelling before we move on. Do you agree, disagree? How highly would you put that in your pecking order of a skill or attribute you have in a really good project planner? Probably right at the top there with the technical skills. You're absolutely right, you're spot on. So for me, technical skills will always be number one. But the storytelling is the close second, absolutely close, you're absolutely spot on. It's a very close second, very, very close second. Um, I think storytelling is really important. And we mentioned before, I worked on a number of Brexit programs and portfolios. I think I've worked officially on about three different ones. And now I've just had enough. So I'm just trying to stay away from no more Brexit, please have mercy on me. So, um, and, and within that Brexit, I don't know if, if you've heard of the best storytelling that I've, from a senior person in terms of ranks that I've seen. And so here it goes. During Brexit, the biggest issues after, after it came, it, it became live, you know, the biggest, obviously there was political issues to, to get it through the parliament, et cetera, through European parliament to agree, Northern Ireland protocol, you, you name it, you know, left, right and center is going. But once that Brexit was uh, finally signed off, the biggest issue is the trade and the free flow of trade. Because the minute you put um, blockers at the borders, um, the business starts to fall apart. So one of the biggest exports for Scottish um, business, small businesses, which are mostly small businesses, are shellfish. Yeah, shellfish, which is caught up there in the highlands, put, oh, is that my glamorous assistant? Yes, another one, please, thank you. Sorry. That's my glamorous assistant, you see, married for 30 plus years, he's very happy. I think he's happy, um, he's not saying much, you know, at this point. Yeah, you're right, my intuition, my gut feeling, I mean, he talks about that the life sentence is apparently longer than yeah. this, but 
borders, you know. You recruited well. You recruited yeah, I'm, well, Sajana. I'm, I'm foreign, thank you. So I just, you know, if, <laughs> if it doesn't suit me, I just claim I don't understand. <laughs> so I was trying to uh, say to you about this, this shellfish. So the shellfish is caught somewhere in the Orkneys, yeah? It's, it's then put on ice, I understand, put on trucks, and within a day, it used to go past Valladova and it go, goes to Spain. And I think that end-to-end -end journey lasted a day, say, yeah? So obviously now with Brexit, the biggest issue for um, the Scottish small businesses that were in that field was how long will it now take? Because this is really a perishable product. This is the little prawn you know, that really has a very short life from being caught to being on a Spanish, in a Spanish restaurant on a plate. He asked for a storytelling end-to-end -end of a prone journey, right? So he wanted to know from the minute that prone is caught in the Orkneys in Scotland, going via the ports down, say, via Dover or wherever, on the track, refrigerated track, passing into France, getting into France and down into Spain onto the restaurant, how long will that take? And I love that question. So I mapped out that journey. I helped map out that journey. For me, what a wonderful thing to do. And I think a message, please, chaps, to senior management, if you ever want to ask a good question to your program director, ask him or her, for that prone journey end to end. If he or she can't answer that as a sponsor or as a senior manager, you've got the wrong people in the jobs and you'll never achieve successful outcomes, never. No matter who you recruit, because uh, these blockers will block it. So, so I just thought that was amazing. So the little prone end to end, and this is what I do as a planner. Do you remember, we do end to end, don't we? And I try to tell that story in my plans, in my project plans, I try to tell the story on the little prawn being born, being caught, get on the truck and get to Spain. So that's what I'm trying to do. So you're absolutely right. And that's what I'm looking for as well. Can you see how much I was loved, especially in agile projects when I come and say, okay, so now tell me the story. What is this telling me now? Um, but you're right, storytelling, it's, it's, it's so crucial. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I love, you just added another story onto that, the whole prawn. So we've got farm and we've got prawn now, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> but I want to also jump back to, I think Martin alluded to it, you know, when you're recruiting, et cetera, and the whole notion of, you know, um, fantastic project planners are like gold dust. And then that brings me to what I think the current market is looking like where governments have thrown money into infrastructure and there's these lots of projects and lots of demand, right? And so the ratio of gold dust planners versus the rest is now the ratio is getting bigger. So you don't have that many available potentially, or are we actually seeing the opposite where knowledge is being shared and we're growing and through mediums like this podcast and your book etc where we're actually trying to pay it forward into the community and growing it i just want to get your view do we have enough uh good planners to go around to support all of these mega projects because if you think about it this virtual world we're actually now seeing that you're not just competing geographically because you can work from anywhere on any project yes there's advantages being physically present but for a lot of 
countries, there's still lockdown. You still can't travel to site. So for a lot of projects that have happened over the past 18 months, the project planner, even if he or she wanted to, couldn't go to site because their role wasn't deemed important enough to be at site. So they had to do everything through the eyes of the engineers on site. Anyway, long story, but because the role can now be done more remotely, does that one either open the market up more? So maybe the UK has the sterling and it's got more buying power. So maybe you'll get you know more of the best planners throughout the world. Or I don't know. It's just it's an open question, just a thought. I don't know, Sinshana. I don't know where I'm going with this question. I don't even know if it is a question, but I was just I was just thinking, and yeah, exactly, uh, GNT. Um, but yeah, any thoughts around that? The the whole pipeline of good planners coming through, and and the demand and supply in the market. So to answer your first question, I would say, do we have enough planners? No, we don't. Good project planners? No, we don't. We don't, because we don't train. Why? Because we don't train any. Because we don't value many of them. And you've probably seen, I posted um, on LinkedIn a question if other colleagues wanted me to raise any issues. And one of them said, it's whether the planners are valued for what they do. Um, I, do I also wanted to raise one point with yourselves. You know, like in the old days, you would normally get sacked for doing a bad job. Remember these days? I really feel in the last five years, it's the other way around. You're very likely to get sacked if you're exceptionally good at your job and the rest of the guys and girls really can't do their jobs. Why? Because you'll be the only one questioning things and standing out. It's like being in a chicken coop and being slightly ill. Yeah. Yeah. What will the rest of the chickens do? They'll peck on you. I've seen many planners being sacrificed. And this is scapegoated is a better, is a better, it's a less bloody word, isn't it? <laughs> less carnage that people can. But it's really painful to watch. And it's happened to me as well. So it's painful to watch other people being absolutely sacrificed and carnage left after they've been kicked out of the programs where they were actually doing a stellar job, stellar jobs they were doing, trying their best to produce the right thing, to, to speak to everybody. That, that's painful. So that's why we don't have enough planners, because we don't train them and because we don't value them. Um, yeah. That's interesting because I, I agree with you. I, I think I think planning is undervalued because of the way it is viewed, that it's, you know, just someone that's putting a schedule together so that we can say we have one rather than it actually being followed or because NEC says you have to have one. So we have one for commercial reasons rather than actually following it for delivery, right? It's not driving delivery. It's just so we can have a contractual obligation fulfilled. Um, but it's really interesting. I, this is going to go all over the show, this, uh, <laughs> this podcast, which is fantastic. I love it. Um, 
let's bring Martin in for one or two because I know he's got some there as well. Martin, over to you. Thanks, Dale. Yeah, I'm fascinated by one of your earlier comments about uh, cross-industry knowledge. You, you mentioned that the best planners are, are easily able to, to cross industries. Um, I, my question around that is, it, probably in mine and Dale's experience, we, we found that some of the best planners are the ones who almost stay in the same industry and they maintain that that real knowledge of the industry, the the sector that they're in, and that's what makes them unique. That's why they they can command the high the high day rates, the high the higher salaries, and they're they're worth their weight in gold. Really, they really are. Do you do you find in your experience, do people transition easily between industries? Like, could a planner go from a defense to a transport to a Brexit planning easily the, the fundamentals are still the same but the, the the real challenges are in the the industry knowledge yeah um I know exactly what you what you're saying um do other planners change industry easily I don't know did I change industries easily absolutely absolutely Absolutely. So, so let me tell you, so let me, where shall I start? Let me tell you, do I work, which way do I work? So let me tell you the industries and type of programs I worked on. So first time that I officially started working, and I think my title was a project manager, I worked in telecoms and we were building data centers. Um, so that was my first proper project assignment. So, so that's IT and telecoms, right? Telecoms, data centers, fine, tick. And then that took a nose, nose dive. So I thought, what can I do? Do you know? So I did a piece of work still in telecoms, more looking at their network and their network traffic as well. Fine, did a bit of that. Then I went to work for Ernest & Young. Why? Because they actually had really good maternity benefits and I wanted to have a second <laughs> child. <laughs> was it officially a plan? And no, but I was, I became a part qualified accountant and I did audits and I did due diligence work which helped me enormously later on. And obviously I had to plan everything that I had to do. You know, um, these guys really look for a piece of flesh big time. So every 15 minutes was accounted for, fair enough. But I also got in, involved with very senior partners and I used to do a pieces of work for them, which really helped me. They do loads of research into companies and people due diligence. And then I went to work for Thames Water as a cost and planning engineer, right? So that was my first foot in the official planning, cost and planning. And I did that for a year. It took, they had their own systems at the time, it took about six months to train me. Yeah, six months to train me. Worked really well with estimators, with consultancies, with everybody, loved it. So six months of training and another six months. So it wasn't that bad. You know, I, I was very low. I, compared to a day rate, I was on relatively low pay. Yeah. And then I went to become, um, these were all permanent positions. Then I went to become a strategic planner for Scottish Water. Here's because we moved to Scotland from Reading in Berkshire. And this was fantastic. So remember, I, if, have you worked in water utilities? 
Right. Okay, they're nodding no. Okay, so in water utilities, um, they traditionally do something that it's called AMP four, five, etc. These are five year investment, capital investment, huge portfolios of work, really. Um, so when I was at Thames Water, I was working on one of those portfolios of work. When I was at Scottish Water, I was working as a strategic planner, mapping out all the investment, capital investment, and I did something called technical expression, which underpins which assets will be um, improved. So strategic planner there, great, you know, water utilities, great. And here comes my redundancy, voluntarily, of course, me first, because I realized, I, I oh, here's a story for you. So I work with, <laughs> I work with a Scottish guy who was a freelance planner, right? I really liked him. He's called John. It's a good story. It's a great name. Uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> he was such a sweet guy. So he was already in his mature years. He won't take this the wrong way. He's got, he's got a massive career of, uh, of uh, project program planner, freelancer, go, working abroad, Dubai, you, you name it, you name it. It was such a privilege to work with him. And I was comparing what I was doing to what he's doing, I'm thinking, I want to do that. I want to do Oracle Primavera P6. I want to put project plans uh, together from scratch. That's really cool. I really want to do that. How do I do that? And I also wanted to know, is it worth it? Yeah. How much could I earn, right? How much could I earn? So he used to come to my desk very often because we would just yap, obviously about work. Duh. So we <laughs> just talk because he liked sailing and Chris is good on sailing. So so we would just talk. So I wanted to find out how much he was earning right per day because he was a day rater. And another colleague of mine told me that some project managers were on I think two fifty a day, which to me at the time, who's always been unpaid. I was chronically unpaid throughout my permanent career for various reasons. Chronically unpaid. So two to five a day, whatever, 250 a day was, wow, wow, that's gosh, that's money. So I wanted to find out how much he was on. So I said to him, John, and we up, and I said, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, great. Very, very. And I said, so if I was to go freelance, I said to him, how much could I earn? You know, so he says, mm, not saying. So I said, well, a little birdie tells me that some project managers in this company are 250 per day. And he like looks at me, walks away, comes back and kind of nearly goes whoosh with his hair. I don't get out of bed for 250 a day. And I'm thinking, that's my man. I love you. I wanna be like you. I wanna so be like John McIntyre. So for me, the career was mapped out there and then. Um, yeah, what, what were we talking about anyway? Across <laughs> uh, industry skills, so being able to transition. Yeah. So then, so, so as a freelancer, what's the easiest thing for a recruiter to do to put you in exactly the same industry, yeah, and a day rate, yeah? So I got a job back at Thames Water, this time as a freelancer, so I'm still in water industry, but now I am closer to Primavera P6. Already from Scottish Water, I've done the training. 
I've, I've got the university, little diploma, university of Oracle, whatever, little diploma, but I haven't got the experience of actually putting the plans together. So Thames Water, I'm even closer. I'm working with consultants, planners, and cost controllers, very close with one of them called Sam. And we start putting project plans together. So I'm still in that industry. Next, my contract's coming to an end. A, a colleague phones me up and says, I'm here working for security company, working on hot electrical sites. Yeah. Um, what is it called? Working for National Grid via a third party contractor. Okay. Yeah. We are using Primavera P6. How are your skill? Do you want to come here? Do you want to work with us? Well, hey, I'm in there. I am in there. So I'm now using Primavera P6 with admins, with admin rights standalone versions, yeah, happy days, playing in sun pits, and I'm on hot electrical site, working with engineers and project managers, getting the information and churning the information and speaking to a variety of them. Does that make sense putting that into a plan? Next thing, I'm looking to get into banking back in Scotland. And this is, remember that little bank in Glasgow that was using Primavera? So they called me up. And they say, can you use Primavera hands-on? It's P5, but can you use it? Yes, I've used it. I'm admin rights, you know, I'm happy to use it. Come in for an interview, got the job. So that's my first foot. I'm now in banking. Via that, via my planning skills, I'm now in Glasgow, in Scotland, doing what I like, which is Primavera, yeah? So then the friendly recruiter phones me up and says, by the way, RBS will pay you X, Y, Z. You will not use Primavera anymore, but you've got banking experience and you've got hands-on project planning experience, yeah? And your raids, and you were a project manager once upon a time. And come and work for us and start using Microsoft Project. And I remember saying, the colleague phoned me up. That was before that recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> So Brian phones me up and he says, look, you know, I'm in there. Come and work with me. I know we can do a good job together. There is a third planner and we will get on like house on fire, but you'll use Microsoft Project. And I'm thinking, oh, but I've never used Microsoft Project. It's like, it's easy. If you use Primavera, it's easy. You know what he's like, it's easy. I'll help you. It's easy. And I'll do hundreds of books and I'll do exams. He didn't say that, but that's what I did. So now, now I'm in financial services. So once then I'm in financial services, doing planning, now I'm going through that, through the grind. There is, um, I think I mentioned different programs. There was a huge portfolio, retail portfolio, and I'm learning as I'm going along. I think that's another point that I'm sure you've raised before, that we have to learn all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So then I spent some time in financial services and I did that Brexit in working for an insurance company. So now again, I'm looking what to do, yeah? And then I get a phone call about a Brexit program because I've now worked on a Brexit program. I've got Microsoft Project and I've got, and I've managed planners by then because I had my teams. And they said, come and work for us, yeah, the government and do X, Y, Z for us. And funnily enough, it was in a field that I have my first degree in. So it was like, hey, finally, this will come to good use. You know, after five years of studying and getting my degree that I've never used in my life. So I loved it. So that's how I made a transition. And I know what you're saying. 
I'm assuming if I spent, I think for me, the optimum would be, I would be quite happy if I'm in, in the same industry for about two to five years, I feel really comfortable asking for top dollar. I really do, because some of the industries are really fast changing. Maybe construction isn't one of those industries. Yeah, good point. But yeah, but other industries, and I've watched, I think, one of your podcasts, which was actually excellent, with a guy, is it Dimitri? Yeah, Dimitri yeah. Formakis. Yeah, yeah. From yeah. Alice Technologies, yeah. That's it, Alice Technologies. And I think that's the way to go. And definitely any other IT, financial services, insurance, all of that, it's all changing so fast that if you were in that uh, job for 20 years, it's probably all changed. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's different. Maybe if you are under NEC 4, NEC 3 contracts, and you know you have to know parts of that contract really well and apply it well, which I fortunately didn't have to do. So that's how it's worked for me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you, I completely agree with you about the, the pace of the industry. It's um, it's really key. Yeah, things like IT is, is forever changing. So um so yeah, I can see how it, it, it is more possible uh, to transition there. One, one last one from me for hand over to, to Dale. Um, Val has very strong opinions about this subject. Um, it's about the role of a planner. So how would you define planning versus scheduling? And how much, in your opinion, would you encourage planners to know about cost management, change management, the other, the other aspects of PMO? Would you, do you prefer your gold as planners to be experts in the schedule or would you want them to be a bit more rounded or do they get their their uniqueness if you like from being just experts in in the schedule and, and using those soft skills that we talked about earlier that's a very good question so i have to be cautious here <laughs> so if people prefer to be good schedulers i think there is definitely a market for that and I think if they can tell the story from just looking at a schedule, good luck to them. I can't. I can't. And I ask of people who work with me if I'm responsible or accountable for their work. Almost all of them have always looked at it as called as planners. Or maybe I just remember the good ones. <laughs> um, and we just have a really good conversation and I remember speaking with one of the, my colleagues who was working for me again this was a bunch of freelancers like myself um, it, I just happened to be their so-called boss um, I looked at us all being equal um, and he said exactly what I would say he said he looks at the business cases that's what I look at, look, that's what I ask for first. So when they say to me, oh, please put together this program plan, da -da -da, we need this, we need, you know, blah, blah. I just ask, okay, can you send me the business case or at least a paragraph or deliverables, outcomes, anything, benefits, anything that you have that you've committed yourself to deliver and tell me a story, but, um, and talk to obviously them. But I look for a business case. And maybe in, in, in network rail or maybe in the rail industry, maybe people can't do that. Maybe it's a completely different setup because it's really tightly regulated. You know, I don't know. But from, from, 
the last 10 years, I always ask for a business case and now I will have a look at the business case. So I, I understand what's going on. And I think for anybody who wants to become a credible senior planner, um, I think they should do that. I wanted to, you know, we talked about recruitment. I was asked a really odd question the other day and maybe you can shed some light. So a recruiter phoned me up again and he said it was about becoming a planning manager. And then he asked me a really odd question because they said I was a planning manager, whatever I was before. And he said to me, oh, were you just managing people or can you actually plan? And I'm like, you can't be serious. Are there people out there who call themselves planning managers who've never put a plan together? And I have a bad feeling there is, isn't there? I, I think there are. I think you're right. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, and this is where I think we are a victim of a very young profession. If you compare it to other professions, if you compare yeah. it to engineers, yeah. accountants, you know, um, it's been around. Those professions ha are refined, you know, and they've been around. So everyone knows what to expect, but not everyone has the same expectation of a planner or project controller or risk manager. You know, everyone has something slightly different. We've said it before on the podcast where you don't go to your engineer and you tell them how to do their job. Don't you don't go to the uh, finance person and say, this is how you do accounting. Yet, they'll go to planner or project controller and say, this is what how you need to do your role. And you're like, okay, that's great. But I, I, I think I know how to do my role better than you because that's why I'm doing it and not you, um, to put it politely. But it's interesting you, you bring that up, Sinjana. If Val was here, he'd definitely ask you a question around AI and technology and how that might change the skill set of a gold dust planner, right? Because if we're getting into the space, and I know it's only the beginnings of machine learning and AI, but you know, we discussed it on previous podcasts where wouldn't utopia be where You've got some sort of AI or call it whatever you want, a bot that says to you, okay, uh, and it just talks to you like, you know, like a Siri or anything else. And, you know, it says, okay, what's the first activity you can do? Or what's your WBS? What's your work breakdown instruction? Does it all for you? And you say, okay, where are you going to start? And you, you just talk to it. And then in the background, it schedules it out for you. So there's this debate that says, okay, these low value transactional tasks that schedulers do will be redundant. But then there's also argument to say, well, actually, Siri won't be able to tell that story. You still need the human side. So you still then have to be able to tell it. I just wonder though, regardless, does it change or in your opinion, does it change what people should be looking for in good planners? Because as we know, technology usually starts off slowly and then it ramps up. And I think we're seeing that starting off slowly, but in our in our field at the moment. But there's plenty of companies out there that are starting to explore this. And probably within the next five years, I'd say, if not sooner, we will see this becoming commonplace where at the moment people are a little bit nervous around us, a bit like when Bitcoin first came out, right? It's like, oh, machine learning is coming out now in risk and it's coming out in scheduling and does it work? Do we trust it? You know? But sooner or later, they're going to go, we can't live without it now. Um, what's your views on that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's definitely coming. There's no doubt. Um, I, By the way, I'm really, uh, I'm a volunteer and a big believer in um, 
volunteering and I'm part of association of project management and I'm their chartered whatever fellow whatever I do a lot of uh, uh, work for them and I attended a conference a couple of years ago obviously before COVID and it was exactly we were exploring exactly that very AI topic in project management overall and you're spot on and the chap who was presenting I cannot remember his name um, for the sake of me now but he just said absolutely what you are saying music to my ears as in huge market completely almost completely unexplored at the minute and it's absolutely open to everybody for taking so I couldn't agree more there'll be definitely huge changes I however love the way that things are people are going about it and I think it's just like a little ducky waddle. <laughs> you know, it's a ducky waddle. And it's like, what a normal people are going to ask me, do you want to help us with AI and all of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And by the way, the people you'll be working with, they know nothing about project planning. And I'm like, happy days. Do you know what I mean? Great. So I agree with you, and I, I, it, it totally makes sense that a, a chatbot or whatever will start scheduling. Yeah, and remember that first conversation you call them schedulers, I call them data inputters. Yeah. I don't even give them the, the luxury yeah, of, yeah. of no, I don't, because for me, if you're a data inputter, great, it's a great job, you love doing it, that's great, but there is a huge difference, huge difference in being a data inputter and being a Goldust project planner. Huge difference. In my case, 20 years and a lot of investment of time and money and, and being on programs that probably nobody else wants to touch with a barge pole. Nobody wants to touch with a barge pole. So there is a reason why the data inputters are data inputters and why the gold dust planners are gold dust planners. So I, definitely there is a market for that. And I think that's coming. We know it's coming. Obviously it's coming. But what it reminds me of, does anybody remember, and I, I, used, to, I used to sit in an office down in Reading. Does anybody remember about, was it 10, 15, 20 years ago nearly, when voice recognition first was was kicking in yeah that AI it was first kicking in and it was down I think it was Vodafone and I remember being in the office and somebody phoning Vodafone and hitting the roof saying <laughs> my name is and then obviously nothing happened my name is nothing happened. John Smith nah it's not George <laughs> you know and that went on for like 15-20 minutes until the poor John Smith you know uh, uh, slammed the phone down saying you know voice recognition but look at it now look at alexa look look at it now so i think number one obviously it's coming number two really takes jobs yeah it will take jobs away from data inputters number three we talk about uh ethics and we talk about intuition and gut feelings and our lovely computers for now are nowhere near there. The algorithms that people put in, yes, they, they will get better and better, you know, and I know that they will be beating us in chess and I'm not worried at all. I'm actually embracing it. I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. I think there is, there will be definitely space for all of us. There is no doubt 
we we I think we have I don't know about you I think we have another five or ten years at least before this even becomes a reality and even with that as I say I understand it, it's relatively easy to get the repet to get a computer to do repetitive car, uh, 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 tasks but the ethics of it to my knowledge haven't been touched yeah I, I I agree you, with you no, I agree I agree with you and it's just an interesting space because we don't know what the future holds really in, yeah, in, in exactly. reality. All we do know, and I agree with you, we have to embrace it. Technology is here to stay. And I agree with you. Ethics is one. Storytelling is another, right? Um, and, I, and, and if I was here, he'd say again, Dale says it often, every project is a unique endeavor with a definite start and a definite end. So every project has a different story. So we can't have the... Alexas and the series of the world telling us, you know, the same story for different projects. So anyway, listen, it's been an amazing time chatting to you, Sinchana. It's it's obviously we, we've gone over the, the hour mark and we could go even further, but we do want to make space for our feature at the end. And uh, as you say, you have uh, watched one or two, so you know what's coming your way. So if you're ready, I'm going to hand over to my lovely assistant, Mr. Martin Carriston. <laughs> assistant yeah i'm not sure about that one um okay so this is our guest feature it's called defend the indefensible it's where we invite our guests to defend a ridiculous statement for 30 seconds it's inspired by some of the wonderful statements we've all heard over the course of our careers um i'm guessing you you know the the routine by now so so yeah if you're willing let's we can give it a go okay okay, okay right so sunchana your statement to defend is, forget planners. It's actually risk managers who are like gold dust. They can predict the future. Discuss. Absolutely. Risk managers are the best to look into the crystal ball. And I think every program should have a crystal ball. And I mean, physically, they should have a crystal ball, which they should spin at regular intervals at the start of the day and at the, at the end of the day. Within that period, they should make um, absolutely executive decisions in terms of which way the crystal ball is facing. And they should absolutely look at every detail of the crystal ball, especially as the light shines from the window. So the risk manager can be absolutely crucial on any program. Why? Because they have A, a crystal ball, and B, there is light coming at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Didn't sound too painful, actually. I'll uh, show this to some of our risk colleagues. I'm sure they'll be impressed. <laughs> okay. I one... think I'll get short, but that sounds... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, before we go, got time for one more feature. It's called Fiverr. Five quickfire questions all about yourself. So again, if you're willing and keen, let's make a start. Okay. Quickfire. Okay, question one. Would you rather spend your day with people or technology? People. What's more important, time, cost, or quality? Time. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true planner. Number three, what's the best book you've been gifted? Oh, is that? Oh, well, mine. <laughs> <laughs> Who's gifted you your own book? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Your gift. 
Number four, what's the biggest mistake you've made on a project? Oh, God, joined in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Last one. If you could choose to spend a day with anyone, past or present, who would it be and why? My husband. Nice. Very good. Thank you. (laughs) Brilliant. Thanks a lot. That's fantastic. St. John, it's been amazing. I love how you've used your own life experience, your own career path, your own journey to explain all the points we've tried to cover today. Because, you know, it's those real life experiences that people often miss out on. They hear the theory, right? And that's dry. Or they hear a thought of how things could or should be. But what you've done is bring it to life and say, learn through my experience. This is what's happened to me. It's not the same for everyone. But here's the way things can go and I love that you've put it into a story you've packaged it and I've had an absolutely fun time with yourself and Martin before we let you go do you have any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with I just want to thank you for for giving me the opportunity to have a lovely lovely evening with yourselves absolutely enjoyed every minute and I think my advice to everybody who is thinking of possibly changing careers or, or improving or whatever, becoming a planner, absolutely do it. You love it. It's a mix of art and science. It's a lot of laughter. It's a lot of tears. Um, it's a lot of money. So <laughs> you become a gold dust planner. It's absolutely worth it. Awesome. It's a lot of everything. And if nothing else, go ahead and get St. John's book. Uh, we'll put, post all the links in there. <laughs> uh, Martin, any final thoughts? I, the thing that really struck me was everything links back to people skills. So whilst planning is, is quite a technical industry, we're talking about storytelling, intuition, um, continuous learning, learning from your colleagues. Everything links back to, to people. And it's, it's an interesting theme we found throughout the, the podcasts. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's ringing true. Dale, yourself? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, um, the, the beauty about it is not only are we exploring all of these topics and sharing them, but we're also learning a lot from them as well by exploring them. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. But folks, that is all the time we have. Martin and I are going to, after this podcast, go and have a look and see if we can find Val somewhere. But for you, remember to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player before you go. Again, a massive thank you to our guests in China Johnston, and thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Martin, it's bye for now. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website. You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.